Hello, and welcome back to another bonus episode for The Good, The Bad, and The Backlog. I'm your host, Adam, and today we have a very special guest coming to us via satellite from the planet Talon 4. He's one part of the duo of the Retro Blast podcast and a good friend of the show. It's Patrick Brickhouse. Hello. Welcome. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thank you for beaming in from (laughs) outer space. (laughs) That's right, man. I took some time off today from cleaning the ship. So I figured I would drop in. <laughs> Taking a break from the bounty hunting and- The uh, bounty hunting lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I used to always wish that I was a bounty hunter when I was a kid because I loved Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> so I was like, oh, I wish I could just like fly on a spaceship and kill people. <laughs> I know, right? And not have to worry about any repercussions from that. Yeah, exactly. You get paid. Ah, oh, I used to dream about being paid. <laughs> just being paid in general. Yeah. More, more money, more video games. More money, more video games. It's always like, yeah, just saving up from allowance for several weeks so you can get one Nintendo game. It's great. Exactly. I used to work two shifts at a discount store every week, and I would mm-hmm. make just enough money for one video game, and I would spend my money every pay on a on a game. So, oh, man. It took so long back then, too, because like, yeah. that was how it was for me. I, when I was real young- it was, you know, doing chores. My my dad had a chart in my bedroom, and it was like a, uh, it was like a not like a whiteboard, but it was like a laminate, you know, chart. And he put all my chores on there. And like if I did all my chores for the week or whatever, I'd get five dollars. Wow. Yeah, I know, right? And so you can imagine it took a little while to save up to get a game, but it just made <laughs> me love the game that much more. I remember before I was of working age, I. <laughs> Went around to the neighborhood, and I don't know if you guys do this or not, but I, like, mm-hmm. printed out little pamphlets to, to do, like, yard work and stuff like that. And oh, I'd put yeah. it in my neighbor's letterboxes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had this grand scheme that um, I'll start doing chores at other people's houses for more money, and then I would be able to <laughs> buy more games. And then I printed out these things, and then we started getting calls for people that actually wanted me to do the work. And then right. I went to one place. And they're like, oh, mow the lawn. And then halfway through, I'm like, this fucking sucks. This is like chores at my house. (laughs) I don't want to do this. (laughs) Man, I, when I was, well, not even of working age, but I remember this one time and it's related to trying to save up for a video game. And this is really stupid, but um, looking back on it, it cracks me up. But I had gone to a yard sale. Yep. And uh, these guys were selling like polished rocks. Like they had like, you know, they're nice looking rocks. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was maybe like, you know, nine years old, eight or nine years old, maybe a little younger. And I was like, man, they're selling rocks and people are buying these. So I went, I had the great idea to go into my backyard. I see where this is going. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's maybe worse. Uh, and just started picking up rocks, like little rocks from the dirt. And I got like maybe six or seven. And I was like, yeah, that's probably enough. And then I went inside, got a notebook sheet of paper with a pen, not a Sharpie, just a pen. And I put rocks for sale on the paper. I walked out to my front yard and when cars would pass, I'd hold the paper up in my hand with the rocks in my other hand. (laughs) And I wondered why everybody just waved at me. Oh my God. And didn't stop to buy my rocks. It didn't register in my brain that maybe, just maybe, this wasn't the best idea I've ever had. (laughs) I mean, I can understand a lemonade stand or something, but rocks. I know, right? Sometimes- you know, Adam, if you really want a game, you just got to, you got to grind. You got to get out there and try to sell some rocks. You got to do what you got to do. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> All right. Well, speaking of being impressed, uh, we should get on to the game that we're covering for this yes, bonus sir. episode. Yes, sir. Um, oh, before that, by the way, congratulations on being our first special guest who uh, is actually joining the podcast. Hey, man, I am I am honored. We, we have talked for a long time uh, about yeah. uh, collaborating. And then, you know, Jay and I as well have talked about, you know, how we just really like the idea of collaborating. We, we mainly do this for for fun and and we just really enjoy talking about these games and so it's nice to you know interact with like-minded people and talk about this kind of stuff so we're really happy about it i talked to jay about it already and he's he's excited to hear this as well (laughs) likewise likewise um oh yeah and for the listeners kieran hasn't isn't joining us because um a he doesn't have any nintendo consoles and b the time zones (laughs) are just far too out of whack for him to hop in so Right. Look forward to him in the main mainline episodes, but bonuses are probably most likely just going to be me and a special guest. Hi, Kieran. Sorry to miss you. <laughs> I'm sure he's probably asleep. <laughs> he probably is. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. So, uh, going on, the game that we're covering this week is the classic on the GameCube, Metroid Prime. Yay! Metroid Prime is an action-adventure game developed by Retro Studios and Nintendo for the GameCube. It's the fifth main installment in the Metroid series and the first Metroid game to use 3D graphics. And it's also in first person. That was a big change. Oh, yeah. It was released in North America in November 2002 and Japan and Europe the following year. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yep. Um, cool. That's that. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it obviously follows everybody's favorite bounty hunter, Samus. Did you say Aaron or Aran? I've always heard. I've heard people say Aaron, Aran. I've heard Samus, Samus. Everybody has a different way to say your name, right? I always say Samus Aran. Yeah, I always thought it was Aran. I think it's actually Aaron though, because I think um, Aaron's probably right. Yeah, because there's like maybe two lines of dialogue that's actually recorded in Metroid Prime at the very start. And I'm pretty sure they say her name is Aaron. Aaron. Which is not how I imagined it, but that's okay. Yeah. Cool. So, tell us about the basic setup of the plot for Metroid Prime. Yeah. So, from what I remember, and I hopefully I won't butcher this, but I do know that the one thing that I love about this game, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this a little bit, but is how um, things are relatively subtle. They do a good job of setting things up at the beginning as far as like what's going on. Yep. Um, but I know Samus is, you know, on her way to check out a, a spaceship um, that has, or I think it's a Federation spaceship that has been attacked by the space pirates. And she gets there to check it out and notices, I guess, uh, they've been overrun by these parasites. Most of uh, the space pirates that are there are dead and she's checking stuff out. She takes care of the parasite queen, which is the beginning of the game which is really how the story kicks off. Mm-hmm. And then from there, she sees Ridley, a uh, fan favorite, the uh, yep. dragon, sadistic dragon arch nemesis of Samus. And now Smash Brothers character. Right, now Smash Brothers uh, character who uh, is flying away from the ship. 
um, towards a planet. Samus follows him and winds up on Talon 4, and that is where the story begins. She just starts to investigate from there. Awesome. Did I get that right? I'm pretty sure that's the best way to describe how the plot starts. I think so. I mean, it's a stress signal. She comes to it, does her bounty hunter thing, and mm-hmm. goes off to be a hero, basically. Right. Just follow. <laughs> she sees Ridley, and she's like, this son of a bitch. And then she follows him and then ends yeah. up on Talon 4. Bloody Ridley again? How dare you? I know, right? Cool. So, uh, I actually don't have much experience with Metro games before playing this. Mm-hmm. I got to admit. Okay. Which ones had you played previously? I had- So, back in the day, I would rent Super Metroid for the SNES um, from Video Easy. And mm-hmm. I remember renting it. I think I've only done it maybe once or twice. And I- played it and loved the ambient music and, mm-hmm. and the feel of the game and this whole atmosphere that it had. Right. But I, it was just too goddamn hard for me. So, <laughs> I couldn't play it. Um, and by the way, I hate platforming and side-scrolling, um, I guess what they're called now, Metroidvania games. I hate them. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I do. Which is interesting because that's, um, at least real quick, you know, Metroid has always been that way too. Has always yeah. been that from the beginning was a platformer like the the whole metroidvania castlevania adopted that from metroid you know oh really yeah yeah so metroid came first metroid came first because the original castlevania games that i grew up with on the nes most people when they talk about castlevania obviously symphony of the night is in the conversation yeah and that's because symphony of the night took a different approach and adopted the metroid formula so the original Castlevania games were just platformers, you know, they were, mm. you know, Castlevania, uh, Castlevania two Simon's quest, which was my first Castlevania game. And then uh Castlevania three Dracula's curse on the NES. Those were just platformers. They were very difficult platformers. The second one is a little different, but Metroid, the original Metroid on NES, Metroid two return of Samus on game boy. They were both that style. Yep. And super Metroid as well, which is technically Metroid three. And they, you know, Castlevania adopted that. So when you hear Metroidvania, it's because Castlevania took that idea, made it really polished and really good, and so kind of got into that style of game. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've hated them. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, long story short, I hate them. <laughs> uh, I'm just no good at them. I hate platformers in general. And um, mm-hmm. these ones, I don't know, it's something about like my hand-eye coordination or my fine mm-hmm. motor skills just aren't up to snuff and I can't make some of the jumps or the the tricky technical stuff to get to certain places. Ah, okay. So, those were off the table for me for ages. But I remember specifically loving the design of Samus herself, Mm -hmm. the morph ball, the environments and the music and the whole space bounty hunter theme stuff was so cool. And it was just such a shame that I couldn't really get into it. Yeah. So, that was my first experience. And then- uh, when the GameCube and Game Boy Advance were out, I thought, hey, I'll give this a crack because uh, apparently they released Metroid Fusion and Metroid Prime at the same time. They did. Yeah. So, I never bought Metroid Prime, but I bought Metroid Fusion. Okay. And um, I played maybe an hour of that and same thing. Same thing. I hate those games. Just didn't click. Didn't click for you. <laughs> no. I mean, I love the design still and all that sort of stuff, but I think I was far more into JRPGs at the time to really give it a fair chance. Okay. So- I ended up selling it to a friend and I did briefly play Metroid Prime and I have a slight story around this mm-hmm. and it kind of paints me in a bad light. Um, so, I don't know <laughs> if I should say it. But, so I had this one friend that was like my best friend in primary school or mm-hmm. elementary school and um, he 
ended up getting a GameCube as well and Metroid Prime. And then he moved to a different city. But because um, okay. we were best friends or whatever, I went and visited him and stayed with him for a weekend. Um, I don't know if you've ever had friends like this, but do you ever have like a really good friend? And then all of a sudden you just start to resent them and <laughs> sort of passively bully them or um, aggressively bully them. It, I guess it depends. And I see this is this is interesting because I... Is it because of of just you just wanted to because they were an easy target or because they were doing something that made you like aggressive towards them? I I don't know. I think it was maybe a bit of both. So right. I just sort of had this pent up frustration. As, and you were a kid too, so that's you know we're all assholes when we're kids for the most part. Yeah, like we're talking somewhere between twelve and fifteen. Right. And um, yeah, I just remember hating his face <laughs> this particular weekend. <laughs> and um. So, he, he pulled out Metroid Prime and he's like, oh, check this out. It's so cool. And he played the yeah. prologue section and I played a little bit of it. And I remember um, I did think it was cool, but because I was pissed off at him, I was like, it's not that cool. <laughs> oh, you were doing... Okay, I get what you mean now. Yeah. You were like, yeah, but I'm not going to tell him it's cool because fuck this guy. Yeah, exactly. That's right? <laughs> basically what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, um, I, I was a massive dick <laughs> and I'm like, I was like, nah. It's pretty shit. <laughs> like just yeah. Paying it out and paying him out for it. And you said you were about 12? Somewhere between 12 and 15, like early Somewhere teens. Somewhere around that time. So you, which consoles, and this is just, a, I guess a, this will help with our conversation as well on this, but like what systems, when you were a kid and you first started getting into games, what systems did you start on? Um, well, I started from the NES. So NES, Okay. Well, it was the it was the console that my parents had. So okay, my mom loved the original Zelda, and mm -hmm. um, I had a save file on that as well. I don't think I ever finished it, but I played that a lot. And then I don't know how like far into my history that we want to go, but <laughs> we've got a Super Nintendo <laughs> after that. Super um, so you started NES. Uh, I mean, so you were you were relatively young when you started playing the NES. Yeah, I want to say like. Uh, five to ten or maybe gotcha. even younger than that possibly okay i started young like really young right and then uh my sister and i all had game boys and um then we progressed to the super nintendo and then i eventually got a nintendo 64 for myself so i think that was probably my first individual console and not a family mm -hmm. console okay the n64 yeah and then so i i basically just had like every nintendo console after that I eventually got a playstation one mm -hmm. many many years after it launched and then same deal with the PlayStation 2, maybe okay. two or three years after that, got one of those. Anyway, so now I have basically all of them, except for the current new gen. Right. Um, so, I've always sort of been like, uh, get one of everything, um, except for the original yeah. Xbox. Right. Oh, I love the original Xbox. I just never love it. saw the appeal of it. There wasn't anything in particular that I liked. It's... And we, yeah, I mean, we could go all day on this kind of stuff too. It's so fun to talk about, but for yeah. me, the Xbox, you know, I got, I actually had a GameCube first, which is, again, this will lead into that because I, you know, got Metroid Prime for that, but. That um, was your first console? No, that was my first um, out of those consoles. So like GameCube, uh -huh. PS2 and Xbox. Oh, gotcha. Um, it was the one I got first, but then I did get an Xbox about a year later. Right. Um, and to me, I was a big fan of the Dreamcast and the Xbox is to me kind of like a Dreamcast 2.0 it's got a lot oh, of the yeah. sega type games on it a lot of there's there's a lot of gems on that console that a lot of people don't really talk about yeah. um that were third-party games and aside from like the halos and stuff like that and and knights of the old republic there were a lot of good 
good gems on the console but we can definitely talk about that another time if you'd like yeah i mean we're gonna if we if this continues we're gonna we'll derail. spend a yeah. lot of time talking so. about this because i have a lot of stuff to say absolutely <laughs> but that does remind me though um do you remember when this came out and it was uh sort of like video game publications were saying metroid prime is like nintendo's halo they yep absolutely yeah i do Ugh. When Metroid Prime was announced and when I started to kind of get interested in it, I was uh, going into my first year of college. Yep. So I um, I actually went to – I was – at the time, I was working at a store called Funko Land. Okay. And that got bought out by GameStop. Uh, and so we became GameStop while I was there and I actually left. While I had been working there, I had been putting a little bit of money from each paycheck onto a pre-order for Metroid Prime. Oh, cool. So I had been pre-ordering the game and I did pay it off. And then I quit working there to focus on school. And then as soon as it released, I went and picked it up. Like I was so excited about it. Um, had already played Halo. You know, I had already started to play those games but um, mm. on my friend's consoles. But I was so excited about Metroid Prime because I'd been reading about it, you know. And I had, I remember hearing that, like, this is going to be the – Nintendo's Halo, which it absolutely is not. It absolutely is not even, you know, in my opinion, it's not a first person shooter at all, which is a yeah. good thing. It works for the game. Yeah, I agree. So, it's like apples and oranges. Ex exactly. Just to give you an idea, if you want to visualize how I first experienced Metroid Prime, right? my first two years of college, I was at a smaller school and the dorm rooms were, we had, they had more students than they, than they planned on having and not enough rooms. Oh, wow. And so I was put into a single person bedroom with another guy who I didn't know. Right. Right. And so we were in this like walk-in closet sized dorm room. <laughs> We had, but they set up bunk beds for us, but it was tiny, you know? Yeah. And my TV, I had a tiny, uh, I want to say maybe 19 inch tube TV that I got from Circuit City. Yeah. And it was sitting on top of my mini fridge next to the door. And that's how I first experienced Metroid Prime was wow. sitting in the middle of this tiny dorm room with a tiny TV and booted it up. And, and let me tell you, to me, even playing it like that, that game blew me away. Wow. Yeah. Ideally, now I play it, you know, I've got a, a larger TV set up with a uh, uh, HDMI converter that I use for my GameCube. Yeah. And uh, it, it makes Metroid Prime look gorgeous. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I could have experienced that way at first, but even still, even playing it like that when it released, that game was absolutely mind blowing. Were you depressed when you were in college? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like it, it was, that was tough. Yeah. To be in such a small space with a dude that I didn't even like because this guy was an asshole. Oh, wow. Well. Like, he, obviously, he's not going to be – well, I don't care if he listens to whatever <laughs> I record, but he was he was a jerk. He was a guy on the soccer team, didn't even try to, like, be – you know, he was mad about the situation. I looked at him the first day and said, you know, I'm not really happy about the situation either, but we got to make it work. And he just yeah. barely talked. So, I'm sure he got annoyed with all the games I was playing, you know, yeah. all the time, but I didn't care. <laughs> so. But Metroid took you away to a better place. It did. It transported yeah. me to a new world. That's so funny. Great. I could yeah. go off on a massive tangent about games doing that to me, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Talk more about sometimes Metroid they Prime. do. Yeah, yeah. All right, fine. Quick little tangent. Sure. I remember being in a uh, hostel at one point when I was visiting another city for a weekend, or I think it was about right. a week, and um, it was 
super shit and things weren't going the way that I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. And I remember playing my DS and Harvest Moon in this hostel by myself for like six oh, hours wow. and it just transported me to a better place. I'm like, I'd rather be farming than stuck here yeah. right now. <laughs> yeah. That's the and that's that's true. And that's something that a lot of people yeah, you know, I, I guess people that don't play games and that don't have that as as a pastime or a hobby, which you know, those of us that do understand that, but you tell someone that that doesn't play games or has never had that experience and they look at you like, What are you talking about? Yeah. Like like it's it's just a game. Um, but I've been there many times. Metroid Prime absolutely did that. Uh, most honestly, most Metroid games did for me because the atmosphere and, and and I can say this about every Metroid game that I've played. Yeah, which I haven't played them all, but the atmosphere, the music, the the mood of those games just sucks you in. You know, mm-hmm. um, and Prime because uh, I, I guess I'll just mention real quick. I my first Metroid game that I played was Metroid 2, yep. uh, Return of Samus on Game Boy. And that game, even being on a Game Boy, still had like that atmosphere and that music and just, I don't know, it's it's hard to explain it, but people that have played Metroid know what I'm talking about. You know, they know yeah. what the mood is of those games. And uh, that got me interested in the original Metroid, which I did not have on the NES. Yeah. Um, but I, I eventually got it and got to experience it. And it was the same kind of thing, you know? And uh, Super Metroid, I got to play as well because a guy that I went to school with, we would. Did you? I don't know if you did this when you went to school, but did you ever, you know, talk to a kid and say, "Well, I've got this game, you have that game," and the next day you meet up and borrow games? I think I did it maybe once or twice, and I don't lend anyone anything anymore. Probably because <laughs> yeah, we did that. Yeah, you learn. Yeah. I, I had a kid pull, try to pull something on me where he tore the label off his game and told me it was one thing, uh, and said, "Oh, the label just came off," and I took it home and it was another game. What? And that's a whole other story. But I was, I asked him and he was like, oh, because I knew he didn't have the game he told me he had. He just wanted to borrow mine. What a fucking little Uh, liar. (laughs) I know. I know. I know. This same kid also tried to, uh, to burn down his house a few years later. Uh, So if that, if that's anything, (laughs) if anything to go on. We had this one kid who wasn't very popular and his way of trying to get popular was telling everyone that he could get them like South Park merchandise. Cause Oh, so he was the cool kid. Cause South Park came out. And, yeah, yeah. He I was like, you. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll bring you guys all the South Park stuff. And we're like, yeah, all right, cool. And it never happened. And we're like, all right. come on Naveen. Where is the South Park stuff? <laughs> oh, that's so sad. And he just like, kept just lying. <laughs> yeah. People do that. And then yeah. this was the same way with this kid, but the one kid that did come through for me, um, I let, I think I let him borrow like, God, probably Mega Man X or something like that. And he brought Super Metroid and I got to sit down and play it. And that's Super Metroid's where I really kind of fell in love with Metroid. Yeah. Personally. And I grew up with platformers. I, I played other games too, but I was a platform guy growing up. NES was a platform console, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, So I got really into those. I still love them now. Uh, but Metroid did it in a cool way, you know? Like you, you're not just running and jumping and shooting like you would in Mega Man. You're, you're exploring. It's an adventure game first. Yeah. Um, the combat's just there, you know, to, you know, the alien life is there that you have to deal with and you feel like you're discovering new things and you're getting your power ups and you're opening up new areas. I love that. The whole Metroidvania formula is great. So getting Metroid Prime and seeing them like in my head thinking like, how are they going to pull this off? How are they going to make a Metroid game in first person? Yeah. How does that work? And we, we didn't have a lot to go on before that. You know, you had Halo, which is still relatively new. You had GoldenEye, you had Perfect Dark, games like that. But nobody had really done anything like that before. 
you know, made an adventure game. So that was just like probably why it hooked me so much because I was literally thinking in my dorm room, like they literally made, you know, like a Super Metroid game in first person. They they pulled this off. Yeah. Look, I got to tell you, I loved Metroid Prime. <laughs> that is interesting to hear. <laughs> yeah. So despite not loving Metroidvania games in general, Metroid Prime mm-hmm. was different enough for me. And like you said earlier about the... Uh, the the atmosphere and being transported to another place. Right. This was the first time in a very long time that I have actually felt a sense of awe and wonder okay. and excitement about playing a game. Wow. Okay. And it really did transport me to another place. And I finished this game in three sit down sessions. Like <laughs> it was done. <laughs> That's impressive. Honestly, I that makes me happy to hear. Uh, you know, it's no secret that. I love Metroid. I think it is a underrated franchise in Nintendo's, uh, you know, catalog. Yeah. It definitely doesn't get as much love as, you know, Mario and Zelda and everything. But I will say uh, I'm right there with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Metroid Prime is in, in again, I mentioned this to Jay and, you know, we're going to talk about this game. Our next episode is Metroid Prime. This works out perfectly. Yeah. Um, he had never played it and he's playing it now. And I told him, I was like, this is a game that, you have to understand came out, you know, 18, 19 years ago and you got to forget some of the things, you know, we, we play modern shooters and things like that. I was like, you have to forget those things. And remember going into this game that it is an adventure game first yep. and a shooter second or even third, you know, it's not meant to be a shooter. And he, once he realized that and he sat down and played it, I'm pretty sure that he's been playing it pretty consistently he's even texted me and and said you know he's he's kind of sucked in cool so i've i've beaten him though i finished it before him right you beat it yeah okay. you <laughs> man you went all in if you if you beat it in three sit downs i'm very impressed because that's but that's great that's one of the best things is when you play a game and you don't want to turn it off yeah you want to get through it and you want to enjoy it and you just get involved and sucked into that world and that's that's what I love about that game because I'm the same way. When I play it, I don't want to turn it off. Yeah, I mean it's it's that, and it's also I had a deadline, <laughs> <laughs> right? That's um, also a big part of it. I will admit though, there was one one point where I nearly rage quit, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. <laughs> sure, sure. Okay, I played this on the Wii U via the Wii Virtual Console, so I downloaded mm-hmm. it from the eStore probably a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. played four hours of it back then and then never got back to it probably because it was on the Wii U and mm-hmm. um, I just wasn't really using that console much. Right. But uh, yeah, I got to say this one for a game that old holds up so well. It really does. And mm-hmm. the Wii version in particular, it's um, 16 by 9. Right. And so you played the uh, the trilogy? Yes. Release? Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And when I finished, I wanted to jump straight into the second game, but I didn't. <laughs> and- uh, the motion controls as well on the Wii are probably some of the best motion controls I've played on it. Um, okay. Having said that, though, after three sessions, my hands were killing me. <laughs> I bet. I've never played the motion control version of the game. It's actually not nearly as involved as you think it would be. Right. Like when you think motion controls, you think like sweeping motions or the waggle mm-hmm. thing. Right. Um, it, this is just like pointer and you only really need to tilt your wrist slightly to aim on screen i've watched people play it i've watched youtube videos of people play it yeah and it looks like and i'm only going by you know the the visual on the screen as far as uh, you know the arm cannon and and how it's moving and you can tell you know the way that it's moving around that it it seems very 
polished in that sense to yeah. where people that are using the Wiimote, like it, it just looks like it's pretty accurate. Like they did a good job of, of making that work, you know, for the system they set up for what prime three, right? Yeah. 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 And it's not like super sensitive. I mean, you can boost the sensitivity if you want to. Okay. So they do have that option. Yeah. And I did, I put okay. it on the high sensitivity, but even then, like sometimes when you have really high sensitivity on a uh, motion control game on Wii, the cursor will just fly off the screen or something. It'll then, go everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And then you'll be stuck in like doing a, a Samus will just be doing a loop chasing a tail or something like that, <laughs> yep. spinning around, yep. um, which did happen to me once. But I should also say I to- I told you I needed to go and get some batteries for the Wii remote. I didn't do mm-hmm. that. Um, oh, you didn't? No, I used uh, the batteries for my TV remote, which were half full. So the other reason why I finished it in three <laughs> sittings was because I wanted to beat it before the batteries ran out. <laughs> before the bat, you were racing the yes. batteries from your TV remote. That's great. Yeah. We've all been there. I can't tell you how many times I've taken batteries out of out of my TV remote to do stuff like that. It's it's That's like such a quote unquote gamer thing to do. Yeah. You yeah. know, I think it added to the the suspense and the tension as well. Cause I'm like fighting these space pirates, but I'm also trying to beat a decent time. So the batteries don't die on me. And then every time <laughs> I pause the game, I made sure that I turned the battery, like the Wii remote actually off. So it wouldn't drain more batteries. Right. Um, oh man, that's hilarious. Yeah. Kind of like when you're on a road trip and you have like just a slither of petrol left. <laughs> I know. And you're just like, I think I can make it. Hopefully I won't get stranded yeah. in the middle of nowhere with nothing around me, but trees. Yeah. You know. So I was fighting that too. <laughs> right. So that's, well, you know, that's, you gave yourself a little speed run. I guess you kind of forced yourself into a speed run in that case. Yeah. It was kind of like yeah, a Nuzlocke cool. challenge. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. Okay. So, uh, where do I go from here? Um, yeah. I mean, you know, since we have two different perspectives, I guess, in the sense that, you know, I've only played it on GameCube and you played it on Wii. Yeah. Uh, and they did make some changes to, they made some changes to that version of the game as well. Yeah. I, I do know that. There wasn't that many though. They, they fixed a couple of glitches, put in motion controls, mm-hmm. and I believe they may have altered some of the enemy placement. Something like that. And they added the spring jump, which is not in the GameCube version. Yeah. Fun fact. I didn't even know that was in there. You didn't. No. I see. And I, I only knew about this because I watched a video on it and I was sitting there watching the video and I was like, damn it. I'm like, that makes the game so much because then you don't have to master bomb jumps, which yeah. is something you do have to master in the GameCube version. So hang on a sec. Is it just a button press or is it another upgrade? I, I have I think it's and again, I don't know. I okay. watched uh, someone play the Wii version and they were talking about it. I don't know if it's automatically there when you get the morph ball. But they were just talking about it as if it as if it was. I, I'm not educated on that part of it, but I know that it was absolutely not in the GameCube version. Okay, that would have made my life a lot easier. Well, I must have done something completely wrong because I didn't even know it existed and I never used it. <laughs> <laughs> so you just had to use the bomb jumps then. Yeah, and that's what I did. So you got the okay. You got the right experience. Yeah, I did that whole thing as well, where you need to put a bomb and then you wait a few seconds. You put another bomb and then the first yep. bomb blows up and then propels you up. Then you put another bomb up the top and then you go down. Yep, and, the- and you keep. Keep going. Yep, yeah. Keep climbing. And that's been around since the first Metroid. That that was something that I also remember kind of grinning. You know, when you you see something and just kind of like you get that nostalgic feeling and you just grin. You're like, yeah. I can't believe they nailed that too. Because it made me think about playing Super Metroid and trying to master those bomb jumps. Yeah. You know, but they made it work. It's just the care and the love that went into that is <laughs> is complete. It's so, what is, what's the word I'm looking for? Palpable. You know? Yeah. It's yep. just, it's, it's fantastic. Oh, we should probably explain um, 
what we're actually talking about is uh, right, <laughs> one, of, yeah. one of Samus's abilities is, um, and this is iconic because I, I can't think of any other game that has done this ever, mm-hmm. uh, or like before or since. Maybe Sonic, right. but she turns into a morph ball basically and just rolls around the level. And um, mm-hmm. so, how did the morph ball work in the 2D ones versus the 3D ones? So, the only main difference, I mean, you still acquire it the same, like you have to get it. Metroid games are usually every time you start off with, in some cases, you start off with uh, Samus's most of her full abilities and they get taken away from you, like in, you know, some of the other games. But usually you start off with just base moveset. Yeah. And then as you go, you find your uh, power ups, whether that be rockets that you can use to break barriers on doors to get into. Um, you know, power-ups for your blaster, her arm cannon. Uh, and the morph ball is one that you would have to find. And the game would always, and they, they do this in all the games, where you would see paths that you can't get to yet, which yep. is how Metroidvania games are, where you'll see something and go, okay, well, I don't have the ability to get there yet. It's too high up, I'm going to need something, or it's too low, or there's a tiny path that I don't have anything to allow me to get through. The morph ball opens up your ability to get through tunnels, you know, like these little tiny areas where you see them and you go, okay, there's no way I can crouch and yep. walk through there. Um, and so uh, you would just turn into this little, this little ball, this little rolly ball, and you just open up new areas to go to uh, with, with that. And would just, uh, you could do the bomb jumps as well, but that was about it. Yeah. And you get the uh, super bombs and things like that, but it was just another way to transform the gameplay from being run and gun and platforming to then, rolling around and finding new areas. Yeah. And the Morph Ball in particular has a lot of puzzles associated with it. Mm-hmm. Were they present in the 2D ones? Like I'm, I'm talking about like the spider tracks? Not as, not in, well, and I, if memory serves me, not like that. Yeah. And someone, someone else out there listening may know this um, because it's been a little while since I've gone back and played Super Metroid, but I do remember there being puzzles that obviously places where you needed to figure out how to get your morph ball into an area that you can't just do standing up. Like you can't just walk towards this tunnel and get into, you have to figure out like how to get your morph ball up there and whether that be timing a jump or a super jump, yeah, you know, or a wall jump or bombing certain areas of the map to open up pathways. That was typically how they did it in the 2d versions. Yeah. And in the 3d versions, there are these tracks on the walls that are kind of like magnetic ones. And one of the mm-hmm. abilities that you get is the spider, what's it called? Spider yeah, ball? The spider ball. Yeah. Spider. Yeah. It just helps you cling to those. Yeah. So, um, Samus will stick to that track and then follow that track. And there are some really clever, like Specifically, like, 3D environment. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, fuck, what's that word? Like, puzzle? Like, the 3D puzzles? Yeah, like, it's specific to the 3D perspective where you need to, um, like, mm-hmm. you follow a track and then uh, you can't... Well, I mean, you can jump off of the track. If you lay a bomb, it will propel Samus maybe higher right. to another track where you need to breach a gap or something like that. Right. And there are other cool ones as well where you can uh, release the trigger that's holding you against the wall. So, you drop right. to, you know, press the trigger again and then and go to a track that's below you. Right. So, I loved those kind of puzzles. I think they're probably one of my favorite puzzles um, and there's a handful of them. It's a cool way to mix up the gameplay too. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're running around and doing this exploration and then you have these sections that you have moments where you use the morph ball for like a quick second just to get through a tunnel, yep. you know, and find an area. But then you have these sections where you're actively... Even the, the the camera perspective will change, right? And it looks almost 2D because yeah. you're going 
left and right. And then you're getting on the, the spider ball tracks. You're using the bomb jumps and you're trying to figure out how to get through this area just in the morph ball state. And I love that. I yep. love how they mix that up. Yeah. Like it'll it kick into like a 2.5 D. Yeah. They made it just kind of feel like it was 2D. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Speaking of, uh, you mentioned earlier how Samus gets her abilities and that allows her to progress through certain areas that were previously inaccessible. Mm-hmm. Right. I got to say, this kind of annoyed me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, sure. This is like the the remnants of um, Metroidvania stuff. So it's carried over. It's funny because I, I love it. I love it. <laughs> I did like it. But the thing that irritated mm-hmm. me is I have this sense of, um, well, why can't I just go there? Just let me go there. <laughs> you have that. Okay. So that's, I, I think I know where that comes from. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like when you play games where you are put into this open world and it gives you the freedom to say, well, I see that mountain. I want to go on that mountain and you can, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of. Kind of that open world thing that they've been doing for the past decade or 15 years where you've had the ability, like a Skyrim, you know, um, to go where you want to go. If you see a cave out in the distance, you can go in that cave if you want to. But Metroid doesn't let you do that. It says it puts the finger up and it says, nah, you can't do that right now. Maybe it's less so the, the ability to to see a mountain and go to a mountain and more so the fact that they're saying, you can't go here right now. And I'm just like, excuse me? You're like, don't tell me that. Yeah. Don't tell me I can't go here. I'll do what I want. Yeah. But the main irritation was the different colored doors. Right. So Samus will get different gun abilities, I suppose, or, or mm-hmm. different sort of shots for her cannon. Um, right. And then there'll be different colored doors that are associated with the different guns. So there's an ice one, which is white. There's a purple one, which is electric and a red one, which mm-hmm. is uh, fire. The plasma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, you can't access those doors until you get those guns. And they're scattered through like the, the world isn't small. It's big enough that if you need to backtrack somewhere, it's going to take you a little while. It will. And they're scattered through like previous areas and- at first, you're like, oh, cool. All right. Mental note. I see a door there that I can't access right now. When I get that weapon, I'll go back and access it. But by the yep. time you've gone through two or three different biomes, mm-hmm. the thought of backtracking to that that door now is significantly less appealing. <laughs> I understand that. I think um, that is one thing that they, and again, you know, it being the first in the series, the one, if I could make a criticism towards the game, it would be that some of the backtracking, especially later in the game, yeah, uh, can be a little tedious uh, there, especially when you get towards when you're looking for the artifacts. Yeah. And uh, that that's something that, you know, it. I think they absolutely rectified that in a way in Metroid Prime 2. Oh, okay. Um, where they did change. And, and obviously, I'm not going to, I won't harp on Metroid Prime 2 too much here, but... Uh, they did change the layout in a way that made it easier to backtrack because they do kind of the similar thing as they do in one with the artifacts to where you do that near the end of the game. Um, but there are moments where you're like, okay, well, I got to go through Magmore Caverns again. Yeah. You know, I've got to go through. And I can tell you, you probably will agree with me. You probably knew Magmore Caverns like the back of your hand by the time you were done because you go through that almost more than anywhere else. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, to get a lot of those artifacts. But I... I think that's maybe the one thing is that there's a few pacing issues as far as that's concerned. But I feel like if there were were a way to fast travel, yeah. it would take away from the experience. So it's mm. it's a tough thing. And I think it comes down to level design and had they had more time to maybe tweak some of those things, maybe they could have worked that out. I think fast traveling by save station would have been really useful. 
That's a good point. So this is old school enough that you have to save the game at a save station. Can't save anywhere you want, which right. is like yep. a modern convenience. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the save points are, I think, far enough apart that if you had like a fast travel system be- between them, you could just jump into those. And it would make, especially towards the end where there's the part where you have to collect 12 Chozo artifacts. I keep trying to right. say chorizo. <laughs> Chor- um, <laughs> Sounds delicious. Yeah. 12 chorizos throughout the entire world. It would have been significantly more convenient to just fast Mm -hmm. travel to at least those worlds. Because there's there's the overworld type of place where it will branch out to some of the other worlds. But there are also worlds where you can't connect via the overworld. So, you have to go through Magmore to get to Fendrana. Is that it? Fendrana Drifts. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no access to Fendrana Drifts from the overworld. So, that's one of the reasons why you have to constantly go through Magmore Caverns to right. get to there. It connects those. Yeah. Yeah. So, I kind of- I was just wishing for- um, and this is purely because of the, the time that I've played this, like, in mm-hmm. modern day. I was wishing for, like, a Dark Souls interweaving of levels type of thing. Yeah. And I, I actually- it's, it's, it's interesting that you brought up Dark Souls because- this game, I'm fairly certain that it inspired games like Dark Souls because, oh, really? yeah, I really, I feel like uh, Miyazaki, the guy that created Dark Souls, was inspired by Metroid Prime specifically because if you look at the two games uh-huh. side by side, and again, I know Dark Souls is more of a modern thing, but uh, if you look at them kind of side by side as far as how they're structured, you have Firelink Shrine and Dark Souls, you have where your spaceship is and, and Talon. Uh, in Metroid, you have areas that you can't get to, you know, until you get to a certain place and until you level up a certain amount and you've got this over this overworld that connects. Yeah. Right. So like you, you open up a pathway so you can get back and it's all interconnected, which the first Dark Souls and Dark Souls three do very well. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're designed with that kind of thing in mind. In Dark Souls one, for most of the game, you don't have that ability until later to actually travel between what are the, the, the bonfires. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then later, of course, they incorporated that. And then, of course, Metroid, you don't have that ability. But it would have been interesting. It would have cut down on the playtime pretty significantly, too, if you had the ability to travel between those save points. But I could see why some people would find that appealing. Yeah. Because you don't have to, right? If you if that was in the game, you wouldn't have to do it, you know, if you didn't want to. If you're like, no, I want to go through Magmore Caverns again. Okay. Sure. You know, you wouldn't have to do it. So, but you're right. It could have been something and I'm I'm surprised that they didn't do that. But then again, this trilogy came out what? 2009? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think that's when it came out. I know that Prime 3 came out in 2007. I wouldn't want them to change the base game for yeah. the trilogy re-release though. This is just more right. of like a a nitpick where I wish that um and I haven't played the other two games in the trilogy, so I can't say if that mm-hmm. actually happens or not. But towards, like, the end of the game, the ability to have a fast travel thing like Dark Souls did, like, right. for the most part, like you said, Dark Souls, you're, you're going through the world. There's no fast travel until, like, maybe the last quarter. And that would have been useful in this game in particular for at least the last mission to have a fast travel thing where you're collecting 12 artifacts scattered all over the place. Yeah. Definitely. Some of those, by the way, are really freaking hard. I had to use a guy. They are. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say this: um, I've heard a lot of over the years, and and reading, you know, as you do, you know, I'll get on Reddit and I'll read people's opinions about Metroid, about Metroid Prime, and stuff like that. You know, when you just kind of go down the rabbit hole, and yeah, the complaints I hear a lot, besides that the artifacts are 
spread out and you have to take a lot of time to find them is that some people are like, well, you know, a couple of these in particular are just really brutally hard to find. And to me, I remember one of them people complained about a lot was one where you have to find a hidden door. Oh, uh, yeah. I think it's in Fendrana Drifts. Yep. And I remember thinking in my head, I was like, you know, I, I found that one pretty quick because I had gotten the x-ray visor and I had already figured out that if you use the x-ray visor, you can find hidden doors. Mm. And so I immediately popped that on and was like, oh, there's the door, you know, and found it. And I didn't have as much struggle with that. And I like how the game does a really good job of, at least in my opinion, it doesn't make you feel like you don't know what to do. If you mess around with your different visors and your cannons and you look around and take some time, the answers are there. And it does that subtly. The game does not hold your hand by any means. But if you scan stuff, if you scan everything and you read and and you, that's another way the game presents the lore to you. Because the game doesn't tell you a story. There's no, you know, dialogue throughout the game. If you want to know the story, you can scan stuff. If you don't, you don't have to. Yeah. I spent a lot of time scanning things. Me too. A lot of time, especially early on. It's fun to scan. Yeah. And that's that's also just real quick. I will say that's also another thing that Dark Souls does. Yeah. Is it doesn't tell you a story. It doesn't hold your hand. But if you want to know the story, you can read the stuff you pick up and you get the lore. Metroid Prime did the exact same thing. You would scan stuff and you'd get the story beats. You'd learn about your enemies and their weaknesses, but you'd always pick up what's going on. You'd read the logs. You, did you read a lot of the logs in like the Space Pirate? areas yeah, and I read all of them. Yeah, so you get it the story it's kind of disturbing too like if you read them. I love stories that are kind of subtle and, yeah. and that you can yeah. kind of figure out the lore for yourself and I think Metroid Prime does that so well. All right, you're winning me over with this theory of um Miyazaki <laughs> using Metroid Prime as inspiration. <laughs> uh, I would I would put money on on a bet that he's played them before and took some inspiration. Yeah, I'm sure he probably has. The one that tripped me up the most for um with the chorizos is uh, <laughs> the chorizos. <yeah. laughs> oh man, that's gonna ha- from now on. I'm gonna be calling them chorizos. All right, good. This is, just, this is great. <laughs> oh man. So full disclosure, I told you before playing this that I had no shame in using a guide. Right. I actually didn't use a guide until I had to find the chorizos. Okay. Got it. And um, the only thing I did was I looked up a list which told me which rooms they were in, and then I would go mm-hmm. into those rooms myself and figure it out for myself. Got it. The only one where I actually had to consult a video to figure it out was the one in Fendrana Drifts where you have to blow up a tower so it falls, so it into falls the over. stage. Yeah, because that one was a bit obscure for me. But then I realized afterwards, um, if you check your uh, thermal vision, your little predator vision, yep. you can see wires or cords or power mm-hmm. thingies yep leading towards this um explosive power outlet thing so right. it kind of tells you you have to do something there and i did follow that and i looked at that and i blew out the window and i was looking at it and i was trying to fire at it but i wasn't using the right gun so oh, <laughs> i was just okay. shooting it with like shooting with a regular cannon and then I, I i cycled through all the other guns but then apparently you needed to use a missile to blow it up so I did everything but that, and they're like, oh, what the fuck is going on here? So, I had to like, yeah. look it up and figure it out. Yeah, that's something that, you know, I remember running into as well and, and sometimes forgetting, like, oh, I also have a super missile. Yes. You know, this thing looks like it'll break away. I'm shooting it with missiles. I'm shooting it with my guns, but it's not breaking away. Oh, wait, I can charge up and shoot a super missile. Yeah. You know, things like that you forget about sometimes, and, and that one that you mentioned, that 
I was just about to say chorizo again. <laughs> uh, that Chozo artifact that's in the tower, that's another one that people complain about a lot. I, I can see why. And I get it. They're they're tough. They're tough to find. Some of them are easy. And some, some of them you find along the way and you're like, okay, I'm already building towards this. But then when you get to a point where you have to find them and you've got a few left and you're looking for the clues, they, they can be a little cryptic. Yep. Yeah. And that's something they did kind of rectify, like I said, in, in future games. Excellent. Well, I'm looking forward to the next few ones. But that just reminds me, I had a complaint earlier and I didn't finish my train of thought. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> so I, was, I was talking about the different colored doors. One of the other oh, reasons yeah. why I hated them yeah. was because there's so many of them. And um, for example, the later stages, you, you get to a place, I don't know, the, the mines or something like that. I can't remember the stage name. Mm-hmm. And um, you need a certain gun to access entry to that area. Right. I think it's maybe the ice gun or something like that. Mm-hmm. So, I don't understand why. If you have to have one of the last guns to enter that area, why they would put colored doors for previous guns that you've already own into that area because then you have to like cycle through to shoot the doors to open them. yeah you know what i mean like if you i do if you've got the ice gun you can reasonably assume that i have the electric gun and the whatever other gun already right so don't put those colored doors in that level because it's just irritating to cycle yeah through. i could see i could see what you mean and they probably i mean who knows why they made certain decisions like that it could have just been like well you know this door is is similar to the to the one that was in the other area, and we used we used the wave beam for those doors, so it's just yeah. slapping in here. You know, I mean, who knows why they did it? Um, but I get what you're saying, and I will tell you this: there may I'm not sure if this plays into what you're saying and why it would be more annoying for you. Mm-hmm. It's not annoying for me because it's so much easier from what I've seen in playing the GameCube version. It's so easy to switch your guns yeah. on the GameCube. You literally yep. just flick the C-stick in a direction and it changes immediately. And I've heard people complain that one of the issues they've had with the Wii version is that it can be annoying to switch your guns because sometimes you'll do it and you flick this way and it won't change fast enough. Yep. Um, where it's instantaneous on the GameCube, the GameCube uses the D-pad to switch your visors and it uses the C-stick to switch your gun. So, it's so fast. Yeah. And this, you have to hold down the, I think it's the plus button for uh-huh. your weapons. And then you have to have the pointer on the screen and then you move the pointer to either the top, the bottom left or the bottom right or the center. Mm-hmm. So, it adds like a slight delay in changing your weapons, yeah. which is really frustrating towards the end because there are enemies that are only damaged by certain guns. Right. That part was annoying. And there was another part as well about the, specifically the Wii controls that were frustrating, which was to fire a super missile, you have to- Oh, I know where you- Yeah. Yeah. You mm-hmm. have to hold down the A button. And mm-hmm. um, for any of those people that don't know what a Wii controller is, looks like, Google it so you understand what I'm trying to explain here. Um, the A button is on the top, so you hold that down for your regular fire, and then to uh, to to use a super missile, you have to press the bottom D pad, which is the button immediately above that, and you can only do that when you've got a fully charged cannon beam thing going on. So you have yep. to slide your finger from the A button up to the bottom D pad and not release the button, otherwise it fires the thing. You basically have to use like your thumb joint, right? Yeah, to, to hold down the A button and then press the bottom of the D pad. Whereas on the GameCube. I think it's the, um, I think it's the X button. It's the X button or the Y button. I can't ever remember. I get them mixed up all the time. But I know yeah. where they are on the controller. And it, you just hold 
you hold the A button and then you just you're right there. You just yeah. tap it and you shoot. The distance between the buttons on the Wii is slightly further. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've I've heard I've heard of that being a complaint with the controls and, and that those two things. Yeah. Are the only things I've heard now as far as like the movement and be able to walk around and, you know, move a certain way. It's probably easier with certain, you know, bosses uh, and and enemies that are above you. Yeah. On the GameCube, obviously, you have to hold down the uh, the free aim button, look up, and then lock on uh, to what you want to shoot at. Which sounds, it can sound annoying. I don't mind it. I'm fine with it. I like how the lock-on system works. I like the movement I get from the lock-on. Um, locking onto an enemy and kind of dashing around and, and yeah. jumping. And I, I like that. And I'm a controller guy. I wasn't, I enjoyed the Wii. I, I played games on the Wii and had fun with the motion controls. But to me, they were always more gimmicky. Um, obviously, in something like Metro Prime, they did a good job with it and made it more than gimmicky. Um, but I've always gravitated to just, I want a controller in my hands, you know, and, and do it that way. But it sounds like, and from what you're saying as well, that there are pluses and minuses to using those two control control schemes and can make certain areas more annoying yeah. than it would be for someone like me playing on the GameCube. I'm like, well, yeah, I don't mind shooting different color doors because it takes me <laughs> half a second, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I get that. I get that. Um, yeah. I mean, having said that, those two complaints are my only complaints about the Wii controls. And other than that, the, the fact that I was like moving the controller and I was moving Samus in motion at the same time yeah added to the um fuck what is that word the, um, the immersion <laughs> that's it <laughs> there it is me and my vocabulary <laughs> yeah it, it immersed me more into it which is one of the maybe one of the prime reasons <laughs> see what I did oh there. oh no one of the prime reasons right, i'm gonna head back to the ship <laughs> I'm Can't done. leave yet. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> I, I had to know that a pun was coming. I don't. I don't know why I expected any less. Well, I'm, uh, I suck at puns, so don't expect a good one. <laughs> you were so proud of that too. You were like, you you did the pause and everything. Well, I mean, like, hey, prime reason. Draw attention to a little it. Wink um, and a nod. It was it was good. So it was the prime reason why <laughs> I was so immersed into it. Were there any details in the? The reason I'm asking is because this is what made me feel more immersed. Yep. Um, were there any details they put into the game that made you kind of go, wow, that's really cool that they put that in there because it's subtle. Did you notice any of those things? I know exactly what you're um, fishing okay. for. <laughs> okay. Yep. Let's hear it. Please. You're like one of those girls that um, is like, oh, does my <laughs> hair look nice today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, don't forget about this. This is important, you know? Yeah. I think you're talking about the reflections in the visor. That's one for sure. Yep. Absolutely. So, like in certain points, dear listeners, um, there'll be condensation buildup on the visor. So, um, mm -hmm. even though it's first person, you still have like this sort of outer rim view of Samus's visor. And right. also, when there are certain explosions, you can see a reflection of her eyes, which was super cool. Oh, yeah. Love that. It's so subtle. It doesn't throw it in your face, but you just notice it. Yeah. Like, uh, maybe I, I probably noticed it maybe a half dozen times and that was it. Mm -hmm. But the first time you notice it, you're like, oh, wow, that is so cool. Yeah. It just reminds you. It reminds you that, hey, you're you're playing as Samus and she's in here. Like, yeah, it's just that cool little eye blink. And then, you, you know, it's usually when you're underwater, it happens a lot more. And when there's certain flashes and things, you'll see it. And you're right. Like the condensation is super cool when you're going through like the rainforest type area and you see like the, the misty buildup on yeah. the visor. Like, I love that. 
So that's definitely a big one. I can't think of any other games that do that. Like the not many. The reflection, at least. Not many. Again, this was two thousand. I, I just want to push this even harder. This was two thousand two. Yeah. You know, and you got to understand, like Halo was way far ahead of its time too, and it definitely got its inspiration from GoldenEye and games like that. But Metroid also did things that Halo wasn't doing. You know, yeah. and those little details were so insane to me. And I remember playing and going like, wow, like this is such a small thing, but it really makes me feel like, I don't know, the the team must've just been like, we're just going to throw these details in just to make it, you know, even cooler and make you feel more immersed in this world. And it absolutely paid off. Did you notice any other little details like that? Um, Well, now I feel like I've not noticed something. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what's so great about it is that you might not because they're so subtle. And that's what I love about it. Uh, are you talking about like maybe how if you stand still and you're aiming, um, she puts her hand on her cannon? I don't know. Things like that. So like there's, I, I believe and and again, this is me pulling from my memory yeah. of the last time I played it. And so if I get some of these wrong, I apologize, but I'm pretty sure this is right. But I think if you shoot your arm cannon enough like if you're consistently shooting it and you're having a long battle you'll yeah. notice that there's like vapor coming off the front end of it oh i did not it's notice very that. subtle but you'll see like a little wave in front of a cannon because you've been shooting for so and it's when you really have been into a firefight and you've been shooting yeah. a lot you'll notice it it's just it's very subtle but it's right there um wow. the only other thing i can think of that i thought was um i do like the fact that when you get hit by certain enemies like, uh, you know, the space pirates that have the jetpacks. Oh yeah. You know, when they like dive bomb you. Yes. yes. Do you notice like when they hit you, like you shake, it looks like you really took a hit and like the visor kind of rumbles. You feel like you're getting, it almost looks like you got punched in the face. It's like, boom. And it shakes the, the display a little bit. Like you just took a huge hit. Um, actually, I don't think they ever hit me. <laughs> oh, well then they, if they do that, you'll notice that and it's with other enemies too, but you'll notice that it's like. It's not just like you take a little little movement. It looks like you really got nailed by something that had a yeah. lot of explosive power to it. There's definitely when when she gets hit by any sort of like massive beam or any sort of projectile like that, she puts her hand up in front of her visor to to block it and yep. any charge beam that you had at the time, you lose your charge because it was obviously a big enough hit that she can't focus on holding the beam. Yeah, that I do like a lot. I yeah. like the whole putting her arm on the cannon. This is super cool. There is another one. Yeah. And this is my favorite besides the visor. Did you notice anything? And I love just, I love making you guess, Adam. This is the part for me. Um, <laughs> did you notice anything? So like in the bottom right, I, I think it's the same way on the Wii. On the bottom right, uh-huh. you have the icons of your different beams, right? Yeah. So you've got like your power beam, you've got your wave beam, your ice beam, and your plasma beam yes did you notice the symbols yeah uh, down there did you realize what those were were they hands okay they were hands yeah but the cool thing is that what the game is telling you is that and this is again subtle lore that you just figure out by looking at this those are the hand gestures that samus has to make to make her canon change oh so if you look down at the bottom and one of them is like, you know, two fingers together on this side and two on this side, then her cannon will realize that she's wanting her wave beam, right? Oh. So it'll change. And the coolest thing, if you use the x-ray visor, you can see her hand under there doing it. <gasps> I didn't know that. It's unreal. And it's something that the game doesn't say, hey, look at your hand. It just does it. Yeah. 
And it's that attention to detail that I I love. And you think in your head, it's like, well, how does Samus change her canon? Yeah. The game doesn't tell you. It subtly hints that, well, all she does is she moves her hand in a different gesture and it changes her beam because how else would she do it? Yeah. Is there a button in there that she's pressing? I did you know? notice, though, the x-ray thing when, when she's blocking a beam or whatever and she's got the x-ray visor on. You can see, mm-hmm. like... The bones in her hands. The bones, yeah. The veins and everything. I was like, oh, that's Mm -hmm. sick. It's so cool. And that's that's my favorite detail. And it's something that I remember back in the day, Mm. looking at those symbols and being like, you know, because I hadn't had the x-ray visor yet. Yeah. And I was just like, why are those symbols there? And in my head, I was like, is that the gesture she's making with her hand? And then once I got that visor and started to look more closely, because again, you have to really look and and change change the guns around with the X ray visor on, but you'll see, yeah, um, that she's she's forming her hand in that in that gesture, which is now it just answers that question. Uh, I just mentally associated them with like chorizo symbols, <laughs> <laughs> right? Like which language, the chorizo. Chori- God, <laughs> I'm going to say chorizo from now on. And when when Jay and I record our podcast for this episode, I am I will be damned. Good, you can blame me if for I it. won't end up doing this, and I will blame you for it. Uh, but there, um, I love the idea that the Chozo and and what's cool with me about the lore because I'm one of those people that the more subtle the lore is and the more subtle the story is, I want to know more. Yeah. Uh, and so most people will look at a character like Ridley in this game, which for me was a big nostalgia thing because I remember Ridley from the old games yep. and they brought him into this game. And I was like, is he going to show up again? Like I haven't seen him in a while, um, but it keeps kind of teasing him and him being, I don't know if you know this and we'll just get into the lore a little bit here, but uh, Ridley technically killed Samus's parents when she was a kid. Yeah. Uh, and there are comic books and things like that where they talk about that. How Ridley like taunts it. Ridley's like a sadistic asshole. Yeah. Like he he's a he's a jerk. He's not just a dragon. He torments Samus. He hates her. Um, he's very smart. He's the leader of the space pirates or whatever. Which is interesting because like I just kind of look at him as being a mindless animal. Yeah, you'd think it too. Because yeah. the game doesn't have him specifically do anything that make you think otherwise. But when you get into the lore, you learn that Ridley is way worse than that. He is completely aware of what he's doing. Yeah. And uh, he hates Samus and Samus hates him because he's responsible for her parents' death. And he talks about it to her. You know, he'll tell her like, yeah, you know, I think I ate your mom or stum- something like that. <laughs> like he's a, he's a dick. Yeah. And he has also the best music. Oh, yeah. Ridley's theme is still the best ever. But what I like about that is um, the Chozo being the kind of the forerunners, like they call them in Halo, like they were the alien life form that raised Samus and gave her this armor so that she could be like them. Yeah. And so this suit is like, it defies all physics and everything. Like the morph ball doesn't make sense, right? Yeah, yeah. But they explain it, you know, how that works and and shows how Samus is like tucked into it and how the Chozo kind of like gave her this armor so that she could be uh, like, again, like they are. And I love the lore there with how they are always kind of, guiding her yeah. along the way and they're kind of her family is that even though, though she's human in metroid prime because i remember reading some of the mm-hmm. the lore stuff that i scanned and i already knew prior to this game that she's apparently raised by chozo and stuff but when i was actually playing the game and reading the lore uh there was some stuff about a sort of like a prophecy of uh, a woman coming down to save the planet and destroy this mm-hmm evil in- infection thing or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But I didn't pick up anything that actually linked her to the Chozo other than that. 
like other than her being within the game yeah within this game specifically i don't god there's so many things to scan yeah i don't remember i think there are some um you know those little those wall areas where you say like it looked almost like a water yeah yeah um like a water wall it's not a water wall but it looks like it and those are mostly like the chozo like i guess their history and all that stuff yeah uh things like that I don't remember specifically if they go into that. I know that in uh, the expanded universe of Metroid, you learn more about that stuff. Okay. So is that in any of the Prime games? Or is that just something they sort of like retroactively made up after this game? I don't think so. I think that um, I know what I can say about Prime 2 is that Prime 2 is it's like the uh, I don't want to say it's a black sheep because I actually think it's a great game. But um, as in. You know, there's no Ridley in that game. There's no that one kind of is its own side story, right? That doesn't take place in the plot. Corruption is is different in that regard too. Um, I don't think in the Prime series they go into too much detail about that. There may be some slight mentions, okay, um, in some of those uh, in the logs. But I had, dude, it's been so many years since I've even played <laughs> Corruption, and uh, Echoes is is next on my list to play through again. Yeah. So I'm if if I do find out, I'll let you know. But in the older games, they they kind of hinted that stuff too. And some of that stuff was what you read in the instruction booklets. Oh, you know? okay. Things like that. Okay. Um, all right. I won't grill you too much on that then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, all right. Slight com- this will probably be controversial, I think. Okay. But what do you think of Samus as a protagonist? And I'm going to hold my opinion back until after you said your bit. Uh, well, okay. It, that's, uh, that's a tough question. All right. So I personally, yeah, this is what I can tell you. Here we go. From my history with all these games, I didn't know as a kid that Samus was a girl. Yeah. Because it was a secret. It was one of those things that you didn't know unless you beat the game. Like the first Metroid, uh, I think you had to beat the game in a uh, completely in a certain amount of time. I can't remember, but it would Samus would take her armor off and you'd see that it was a girl. Yeah. And I remember as a kid thinking that when I was playing Metroid 2 on the Game Boy, I just assumed it was a guy, mm. you know, and then reading through like a Nintendo Power and seeing that the original Metroid, because again, I hadn't played it yet, had that uh, code Justin Bailey, where you could get her in like a, a one piece swimsuit at the end. Yeah. If you put that code in, did you know about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but I thought it was so cool because you didn't have a lot of female protagonists. And I was like, man, that's. That's kind of badass. Um, and then later playing the games, I Samus doesn't say a lot, obviously. Yeah. She's like Link. Link doesn't say anything. You know, True. Link is a silent protagonist. So Link is someone that I kind of put my own eyes into. Like when I was playing Zelda games, especially Ocarina of Time, I would play kind of as I would. And I thought of myself being Link. Because again, he's not talking for me. Yeah, right. Uh, and Samus is the same way. And yeah, when you get into like her lore and and – what she's done and what she's accomplished within the in the games, when you think about everything that she's gone up against and done and been able to survive the most powerful weapon in the universe being the Metroids. Yeah. And stopping Ridley and defeating Kraid and Mother Brain and just doing what she's done. I think Samus is badass as hell. Okay. Personally. Um, <laughs> and I like playing as her. She's she's cool. All right. <laughs> You're like, all right, now let me just dump off completely <laughs> for the next 10 minutes. No, no, no. Um, no, I get kidding. that. Like, it's it's the Link thing. And I have the same sort of problem with Link as well, which is I, I've, I find that both Samus and Link sort of get an undue amount of praise, I think, because mm-hmm. they are just 
blank sort of silent protagonist for you to project your yourself onto, which is effective for yeah. playing a game. But like, right. as a character themselves, like there's this whole thing, like people always hold up Samus as being like, this is the strong female protagonist. <laughs> and I'm like, there yeah. is nothing female about her other than her character model. <laughs> you know? You're right. And and that's, that is true. And yeah. Aside from any of the extended universe stuff, like if true. you read the comic books and stuff, you wouldn't really know much about Samus. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of feel like even though I play as her and I can, I, I can appreciate all of her um, accomplishments the same way that I appreciate all of Link's accomplishments. Right. I think I, I'll, give Link probably more of a free pass on this one because I find that um, his characterization when you're playing as him is so mm-hmm. different in each game. Like, even though he doesn't say anything. Yeah, technically, it's like a different Link in every series. Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah. the way that, like, Wind Waker Link reacts to things as opposed to the mm-hmm. way that Ocarina of Time Link reacts to things. Right. And you can see their faces. So, you know, that's yeah. more of a connection. That, that's a big part of it. You see his face. Yeah. You know, you can see his model. Samus is in a, in a suit of armor. Yeah. So, it's that's already working against her. So, I like that even more. And this is, I have a question for you. Okay. Uh, because I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on something like this. But I've always been the kind of person to where, you know, you have those people. It's like, let's, let's say, let's use Master Chief from Halo as an example here. Right. There are a lot of people that for the longest time, we're always like, I want to see his face. I want him to take that helmet off and I want to see what he looks like. And I'm the one that's ever since the beginning been like, I never want to see his face. Yeah. I never want to see his face, not because I want to feel like I'm him, but because the mystery to me makes them cooler. So Samus, even though you see her face in a lot of these games, yeah. the whole time you're playing, you don't see them. Are you kind of that person that's like, I want to see them though? Like I want the mystery revealed or do you like the mystery being um. there? I could have done without seeing her face in Metroid Prime because you already get the reflection of her face. But right. as far as like Master Chief, I feel like he is the armor. Yeah. The, you, you can't take that helmet off. Right. So, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like, I don't want to see his face in that respect. And the mystery mm-hmm. for him is what's so appealing as to, oh, I wonder what he looks like. And he could look like anything. It's up to you. It's like you wonder what expression he's got on his face or like same thing with Samus when she's in a room and she's, you know, fighting Metroids. Yeah. Is she freaking out? (laughs) Like, is she, you know, is she smiling? Is she like have a grimace on her face? Like, you don't know, like you don't really know what her reaction is. And the mystery kind of adds to her badassery to me. Cause it's like, I assume that she's cool headed and like, she's just kind of, (laughs) I don't know. There's something about that mystery. (laughs) that I really like. I've always liked the protagonist that you don't necessarily know if they're afraid of something yeah. or if they're, you just, you can't see that. So you just, you see their actions. Yeah. Look, to a degree, so I, like that. I agree with you, but I think it actually works against her in some ways. As far as like a character is concerned. Yeah. Cause I'm, here's my perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? And this is mostly like an irritation that's sort of brought up by gaming publications and journalists and all this sort of stuff, you know, like who, by the way, I fucking hate them (laughs) so much. I get it. So they project. So the same way that we project ourselves onto this character, they project themselves onto her as well. Right. So they hold her up Mm. as like sort of a feminist icon or whatever, but yeah, realistically (sighs) there's nothing like besides Other M, where she actually has a voice for once, and I'm not including that because I haven't mm-hmm. even played it. Yeah, Other M is not a good representation of Samus yeah. at all. <laughs> but the thing is, with that, is it not a good rep- representation of Samus because she's not what people were expecting or because we've spent so much time projecting 
our opinions mm-hmm. onto her or our identities onto her that once she actually has an identity of her own, it's not what we wanted. So we sort of um, discard it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I I think that and Other M is, again, Other M is the only game I can think of where you really get that like visual of Samus and, you know, reacting and saying things. Yeah. Right. And you've got that situation where the one there's one moment in that game that bothers the hell out of me and it's when she first sees ridley again and she's already fucked ridley up so many times she sees him again and she's like scared of him and yeah. she's like oh ridley ah and she's frozen and i'm like that's not samus man like that's not yeah how she's been in the other games that's not how she's been in any lore that i've read all i know about samus is that she hates Ridley's guts and she is never like she pursued him to talent for. She went after him. Yeah. So it's like this idea that like you're taking a character and you're making her the uh, the damsel in distress. Right. When she's really not. Um, she wouldn't have been able to do everything that she's done and she wouldn't be known as one of the most feared and respected bounty hunters in the galaxy in the lore if she hadn't if she was like she is another in. Yeah. So. I think they kind of screwed that up. I don't know. Maybe that's my opinion. Yeah. But. I mean, I can get what they were going for. Granted, I really haven't played much of Other M. I've dipped my toe in it very briefly. But I think that what they wanted to do was give her character dimension. So, um, obviously, this was inconsistent with <laughs> the wider right. lore. So, that was a misstep. But by giving a character weakness, it gives them more dimension. It does. But they, I think they picked the wrong thing to, to highlight a weakness of. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, and again, like uh, it, everybody projects this strong image of of Samus, so I think that any weakness probably would have been frowned upon. <laughs> but right, having a character that is a hundred percent strong, a hundred percent badass, and uh, basically infallible doesn't really make a good character. Here's what I'll say. Okay, to that, and that's a great. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, because um, <laughs> a character. Well, you're pretty much describing what a lot of people. The problem that a lot of people have with like Superman. Yes. Right. To where you've got a character who's basically a god and can do has no weaknesses except for one one random one, right? But other than that, he's ridiculously powerful. And there's always that argument that Superman is uninteresting because of that, right? Because he has so much power. However, yeah. One of the things that they do well with something like Superman is that if you actually, you know, read comics and stuff like that, Superman's a Pretty cool guy. Yeah. You know, he grew, he's a, he's a Kansas kid. He's, he's an American kid that grew up in Kansas and he's human first. And the way that he interacts with people is that he's got this power that he, yeah, he could destroy everything if he wanted to, but it's the human side of him that makes him interesting, not necessarily his powers. I'm so glad you and said so that. that's some, <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah. kind of, for me growing up, I kind of felt the same way. It's why I liked Batman more than Superman. Cause I like that Batman's kind of a psycho. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yep. He's actually a good guy, but um, Superman is way more interesting than that. When you get to know who he is as a person. And because he was raised by good parents, a buddy of mine and I were talking the other day about this, about how, you know, if you have a character, that's just like what you said, all of that, but they have no character, Captain Marvel. Right? they have no personality, then it is hard <laughs> To be interested in them. Captain so Marvel. I could understand why you would also feel that way about someone like Samus. Or Captain Marvel. Know, if they don't give her that character. <laughs> <laughs> or 
or Captain Marvel, <laughs> right? So characters that are just so powerful that you're like, well, what's what's the point? Yeah, exactly. So you want to see the other side of them. Like maybe they don't have a physical weakness, but they have an emotional weakness, exactly, or they have a mental weakness. So you're right. Yeah, her being afraid of Ridley could be something like that. But I don't think that Ridley would be the one to scare her. But like, true, I could see what you're saying. You know, and because she's silent and doesn't really say anything most of the time. You don't get that sense. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think okay. that was a total misstep, but having at least some sort of weakness to her character humanizes mm-hmm. her a lot more. Um, sure. But yeah, it's like the Captain Marvel thing. Like she's nothing is a struggle to her. Everything comes easy and she never has to overcome. I'm talking just about the movie, by the way. I've never read the comics. Oh, okay. She d- doesn't never has to o- overcome anything to get what she wants. So mm-hmm. that's sort of how I see Samus as a silent protagonist mm-hmm. where ex- excluding all of like the, um, the, the lore and uh, like the extraneous stuff. I'm just talking about like her representation yeah. of the games. Right. So I sort of see her as a bit of a plank of wood. I get it. But having said that it is still the same thing where um, having a silent protagonist doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have like full backstories, like race by Chozo and uh, you're right. Blah, 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 blah. So you, it works for a player in a game when you're projecting your your identity onto her because that's what mm-hmm. she's supposed to be is just a receptacle for the player's identity or, or right. a means for the player to experience the game. But what, what bothers me is the superfluous <laughs> journalist stuff that's like, Samus is so amazing and uh, the best representation ever. Like she's so strong and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, okay, great. Tell me something about her that's from the games. I know. <laughs> Other right? than she's a bouncy hunter, you know. But anyway, we could get into like uh, <laughs> theoretical conversations about this all all day long. Sure, sure. So well, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Um, there is one thing I need to talk about though. I mentioned okay. earlier how I nearly rage quit. And I remember messaging oh, yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> Do you yep. know the section that I was talking about when I nearly rage quit? <sighs> Let me think about it. Mm, Let me think. Okay. I'm trying to think of moments where I got, well, maybe when I got my ass handed to me at some instances or anything that was just frustrating. Was it possibly when you encountered the the big Metroids that have the different colors? No, they're annoying, but okay. that never made me want to rage Yeah, quit. they can be kind of tough. Or was it the final boss? No, that was fine too. Okay, okay. <laughs> For the most part, I didn't find this game particularly challenging. Cool. Um, there is an underwater section where you need to go through, I think it's a crash <laughs> spaceship. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. And um, I was just off on my own exploring and occasionally in this game, like it'll give you hints and then point you in the direction where you're supposed to go to get the next power up or whatever, which is greatly appreciated by the way. Mm -hmm. But in this particular point, I was like, ah, well, I mean, the path is open. I'm going to explore it. So I went exploring (laughs) into this underwater section. And when you're underwater with your regular suit, you move at like two times less the speed. Snail's pace. Yeah. Yeah. And your jump is incredibly slow. And I actually think, you oh, you can't jump as high as you can when you're underwater. Right. And there's this one section where it's a platforming section where you go down like three or four levels. And to get back mm-hmm. up, you have to jump on these tiny little platforms and then basically snake yes. your way around back up to the top. 
And I, and you didn't have the gravity suits, what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> so you went there early. Okay. I did. So I'd, I went into this underwater section without the suit that allows you to move at the regular speed and have the regular jumps underwater as you mm-hmm. would if you weren't underwater. Also, I'm pretty sure I saved the game or I hadn't saved the game for a while. So there's no way I was going to reload a previous save to get out of there. Right. So I had to like slowly jump up those platforms over and over oh, again. Man. That would have been annoying. And I fell off like 20 times. <laughs> I can see that now that you're saying it because I don't, if it's what I'm thinking in, in my head, it's I've gone through that section when I had the gravity suit. Yeah. And you can actually move, you know, reasonably. But going in there with a the regular suit and having like that molasses, Ugh. you know, feeling, I can understand that. And some people do go there early because you can. It's one of those few instances where you can get somewhere uh, early on. So, yeah, I could see that. It highlights my hatred of platforming. <laughs> <laughs> and for the majority of this yeah. game, I had no problem with any of the platforming except for this one section because mm-hmm. it took me, no joke, maybe 45 minutes to get out. Yeah, I could see that. Because I annoying. kept falling over and over again. Then I'd pause the game, take a break before I threw the controller, come back to it. Right, you didn't have the, you didn't even have the double jump, did you? Uh, no, you do. I, I did have the double jump. You did jump. have it by then? Yep. Okay. I wouldn't have been able to get out yeah. if, I, if there was no double jump. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's I would have right. probably just soft locked myself into it. And I was convinced at one point <laughs> that I had soft locked myself into this section, but I just kept trying. And then I was like, no, no, deep, calm breaths. Remember what they deep taught breaths, you in anger right. management? <laughs> yep. Light some incense. Yep. Whatever you got to do. Take a breather. And uh, I eventually did get out, but oh, if I didn't have a deadline, I would have shut right. the game off then and there and probably not come <laughs> back to it for a while. <laughs> yeah, I can understand it. I mean, that's that being a section where if it were designed in a way to where you could only get there when you have the gravity suit, then yeah, that problem would be gone. Yeah. But it also kind of makes you go in there. Like you could go in there and be like, I'm not going to explore this right now because I'm so slow. There's got to be a reason. You know, maybe yeah. like in your head, you'd be like, well, maybe there's another suit that could make this better. Maybe I'll just wait till I get that. But you, you, you push forward, man. Yeah, I, I just like going past the boundaries, <laughs> like trying to <laughs> just like let me go where I want to go. Yeah, like I know I, I probably yeah. need something to get further along here, but you know what? Let's see if we can do it without that. <laughs> no, no. Oh. respect, man, respect. So that was that. Oh, yeah, I don't think we mentioned it. We've probably mentioned it in passing a couple of times, but how mm-hmm. good is the music in this game? Oh, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Metroid, if there's if there's one consistent praise I can give all of them, yep. is that the music is always good. And Prime uses a lot of Metroid tracks, like a lot of the you know different renditions. They often do this. They'll take a song that was in the original Metroid or Super Metroid or whatever, and they'll remix it or they'll do like a new rendition of it. Yep. And, uh, you know, you have themes like Brinstar and um, Kraid's theme and like Ridley's theme again, which is my favorite. But then you've got, you know, the Fendrana Drifts. Fendrana Drifts is so calm yeah. when you're in there and it's just that, it, it, I don't know. It's like, uh, it feels otherworldly. You don't feel like you're listening to like an orchestrated track or 
you know, anything like that. You feel like you're listening to just ambient music. Yeah. It sounds like what those areas, what you would hear, but it's melodic. Yeah. It's, you know? it's, um, it really does encapsulate like alien planet, which helps with the immersion. So a plus on my, my perspective. <laughs> did you have a favorite, did you have a favorite track or like area that you thought the music was exceptional Actually, or like your favorite version? I really like the, uh, what are they called again? The caverns, the something starting with M. Oh, Mag Magmore. That's it. Yeah, Magmore. Yeah, I liked those ones because it it almost had like a vocal sort of um, it's kind of oppressive. Yeah, yeah, like a baritone yeah. vocal mm-hmm. style to it, which I really like in some other games. Like um, uh, Shimigami Tensei uses that sort of stuff quite a lot. Yeah, it's so good. I don't know. It's just so calming. You can actually go on YouTube for those who are interested. You can go on YouTube, and there's a lot of people that have taken those themes and made 30 minute versions of each one. So oh, if you wanted yeah. to just have them on in the background, you can do that. All three of the Metroid Prime games, especially one and two, have the best Metroid music renditions that I've heard. Some classics from Super Metroid do not make an appearance in Metroid Prime, but do in Metroid Prime 2. Right. And um, they're so good. I mean, again, you you can't go wrong with Metroid music, in my opinion. Totally. Now, how'd you feel about the bosses? Um, One of the things that I remember about playing the game and playing those bosses, like the the first boss you fight in the game is just kind of a quick, I guess it's a mini boss because it's that parasite uh, queen or whatever. Oh, yeah. And that really is just to get you used to the controls and and everything. Uh, but the first real boss is, uh, what is it called? Flagra? Is that right? I think so. Yeah. It's the big plant creature that uses the, the sunlight to grow. Yep. I think that the bosses for the most part, now I do have a criticism okay. that spans all the bosses. But it's, it's just a minor gripe. But as far as the design of the bosses and how different they are, I really like them. I thought that they were very inventive and unique. Yeah. You could just have a bot like Flager could have just been you running around and shooting it, you know, blocking on and shooting and dodging attacks. But there's like a puzzle to it. You got to figure out how to um, what do I what can I do to, you know, even the playing field here? Oh, I need to knock over. I need to shoot these sunlight discs so that. She falls down and then I can go in here and, and hit her with a bomb. And then, oh, now she can knock them back up. Yeah. You know, and and you have to fight her that way. So I like that there's puzzles and ways that you have to. It's Zelda does it the same kind of thing in like the 3D Zeldas. But um, same with like, uh, what's his name? Thardis, the boss that's the big rock boss. Oh, he was annoying. Um, yeah. And I like the idea that you have to use the equipment that you've acquired up to that point. Like, you know yep. that when you go in here to fight this boss, you're going to be using the equipment that you just got. Uh, and I like that aspect of it, the the building, you know, the building of the abilities. And then, okay, well, I've got to use these abilities. I did like the Thardis fight as far as the first few times he kicked my ass <laughs> and then I figured him out and went from there. Yeah. Um, and this is as a, as a teenage kid who you know, had never played anything like this and, and had to kind of figure out the puzzle. Right. Uh, and of course, scanning them and learning the weaknesses. So I don't think that there's a weak boss in it. I especially love the final boss for a number of reasons. The Metroid one? Yeah, the the Metroid Prime. Yeah. So uh, when you get to Metroid Prime, one of the coolest things about it is that when you walk in the room, the way that it's hanging, it looks like a face. Oh, uh, yeah. It was, It looks like a really goofy face, too. <laughs> yeah, it's got like a weird frowny face, but it reminded me of like stuff in nature, like moths and stuff. Oh, uh, yeah. And insects that have like faces on them. And I like that. I thought it was kind of cool. But then you realize like, oh, it's not a giant face. It's not like Andross and Star Fox. Yeah. <laughs> it's this big 
parasitic crab. And then you fight it. But then I love when it comes out and you see what the Metroid Prime actually is. Yep. And it's like that, almost like a Medusa looking head type thing. And then you have to use the phase on energy to fight it. I love that because you just get that moment where you're super powerful and you're, it's just like Super Metroid. Yeah. It's just like when you destroy Mother Brain. I love that because that made me think about Super Metroid. Oh, okay. So for me, a lot of the bosses hit that kind of puzzle side of things that I really liked. Yep. But my criticism real quickly, the only thing that I don't like is that I think their health pools are too big. Yes. And they take too long to whittle down. Yeah. There are a couple that I definitely felt the same way about. There's that, I don't know if it's Omega Pirate or Elite Pirate or something oh, like yeah, that. Oh, the, the, yeah. Yeah, the Elite Space Pirate, the, the big one. Yeah, yeah. He took a, mm-hmm. he was a bullet sponge. He took ages to go down. Ridley too. Ridley takes forever. I was going to say, my favorite was actually Ridley. Oh, I love the fight. Yeah. But it takes a long time. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I'll tell you what I like about it. And. It's probably, it's not like a backhanded thing to the other bosses, but I liked that mm-hmm. it wasn't reliant on any particular piece of equipment. It was just a drag mm-hmm. out firefight between you and- What it should be. Yeah. Right. And it was exciting because like, even though he had a massive health pool, it was learning the pattern to dodge out of the way from his blast and, and all that sort of stuff. And then you were just like, it kind of reminded me like a, of a-, a pilot dog fight or something like that yeah and um it was just scrappy like the first phase of the fight you mean like when he's when he takes off and flies around and yeah like there was a certain element to it of of uh like scrappiness well two arch enemies right yeah two enemies with mm-hmm. weapons um shooting the shit out of each other and trying to get the upper hand and that yep. felt like an actual like proper fight not a you know learn uh <clears throat> pardon me Learn a puzzle to defeat them. <laughs> and I would agree. And I think that's fitting for Ridley. Yeah. Because if for any of those bosses in the game for it to have that, I think it should be Ridley because Ridley is lore wise. He's her arch enemy and to have him come back and have that fight. You want it to be like a memorable fight instead of it being like here, figure out how to use this weapon. Now, obviously, I used the plasma weapon on him. Yeah, I think I did too. It works really well. But one of the things that I've heard people complain about is when Ridley in the first kind of phase of the fight when he's you whittle him down a little and he'll take off and he'll kind of fly way off in the distance and he'll dive bomb you. Yeah. And then he'll also like shoot his laser at you. I love that. I love how he'll take off and he'll fly way out into the distance and you're just watching him. It just seems like this is how this fight would actually go down. Yeah. Ridley would be doing that. He would be trying to like get his distance and and try to dive bomb her and like, that's how he would fight. He doesn't need to be standing in front of her where she can blast him. I thought it was exciting because it, it sort of added to, like, the anticipation of, shit, he's coming yeah. back. <laughs> yep. Here he's making another pass. Where do you know I need to move? And yeah, that just, it seemed like they thought that out. They were like, okay, well, Ridley can fly. So are we just going to make him land and then just fight her? No. Like, he's going to take off. He's going to use his abilities. And yeah. it seemed like they thought that boss fight out that way. Yeah. It surprises me that people criticize that because I think you need those sections to have mm-hmm. a good five seconds or so to catch your breath and yeah. reevaluate. I think they think that he's flying around for too long. Yeah. And I'm like, this is just, and maybe it's just a sign of my age. <laughs> where that doesn't bother me for people like need instant gratification like oh it's it's like three seconds you're like oh it's wasting my time yeah look i know i'm nitpicky but that's a nitpick (laughs) that is absolutely a nitpick but i i I appreciate that stuff i do like the fact that i don't care if how long it takes me to fight him if it's a fair fight like if if i don't feel like it's just his health pool which again it is yeah it takes a long time to to beat any of these bosses but 
you do feel like this is a knockdown drag out fight. Yep. You know, and it's con- con- continuing to go. If it were too easy, what would be the point? Yeah, exactly. Are you excited for Metro Prime 4? I am cautiously optimistic. Oh, okay. My initial reaction to Metro Prime 4 was, oh my God, I can't wait. And then about 10 minutes later going like, wait. Yeah. Is Retro making this? And finding out that they weren't making it made me significantly less interested. But now knowing that they are making it because they were brought in to do it, uh, okay, um, they scrapped it. So I think whatever version of Metroid Prime 4 they were making did not seem up to snuff. Yeah. And they brought in Retro back. Now, Retro obviously does not have all the same people there that they had when they made Prime. I would also tell you another reason that I feel cautiously optimistic okay. is because I personally do not think that Metroid Prime 3 – I think it's the the least of the three. Oh, okay. Because it feels more like a first-person shooter than an adventure game. Right. And that's how they designed it. They wanted – that game was built to capitalize on the Wii motion controls before the trilogy was made. Right. You know, they wanted to make it gimmicky. There's a lot of things that are just there to make you use the Wii mode. It was supposed to be a launch title for the Wii. Oh. Um, and you can tell when you play it. That game – it's not a bad game by any means. But I think that one and two eclipse it because they're adventure exploration games. Three is a first person shooter and with, you know, a linear path. And if they do that for Metroid Prime 4, then I don't think I'm going to enjoy it as much. Yeah. If they go back to the, the one and two formula, absolutely. I want to explore. Yeah. Surely they would take on the criticisms from the, the previous trilogy mm-hmm. pretty well, I would say. I mean, especially considering when they released the trilogy as a package, they listened mm-hmm. to some of the criticism from the first game and, and made some changes. Right. So, right. I'm hoping that they're, they're obviously willing to oh, take man. on constructive criticism and um, try and please the fans because- uh, Well, they did that with Luigi's Mansion, right? They they rectified that. You know, the I don't know if you've played those games, but- the first Luigi's Mansion is phenomenal, in my opinion. Yeah. It's short, sweet, but it does a, a really cool, uh, a really cool thing. And then the one that was on uh, 3DS, I got that. It was a dark, was it Dark Moon or something? And it just was different. They changed it and made it a little bit more linear and level based, and it just didn't have the exploration side, and it made me less interested. And then they kind of rectified that with the new one. Yeah. So I, I really hope so, man, because if you're gonna make a Metroid Prime game, mm. the pedigree there is. People talk more about, and maybe it's just me, but people talk more about Prime 1 and Prime 2 than they do 3. And I think it's the reason is because those are the ones that you can go back and play and get that sense of exploration that you don't get with 3. Yeah. If you just like shooting things with the Wiimote, then yeah, 3 is your is your thing. I actually think the Wii as a whole was a bit of a misstep for um, Nintendos, <laughs> but right. that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I know what you mean. And I it's it's a harder system to go back and play now. Yeah. Because you, you're like, well, I really want to play. I really want to experience this game. But damn it, I have to do the motion controls. I got to set up the the bar on my TV yep. and all this. You know, it's just it's going to be more of a pain in the ass the, the further away we get from it. Yeah. Um, whereas you can go back to a GameCube, pick up your controller and boom, there you go. Yeah, totally. So it's harder to do that. Yeah. Um, my perspective, I think Nintendo get a lot of flack from like the gaming populace in general, I think. But I have a lot of faith that they recognize that Metroid as a franchise uh, had a few missteps with uh, mm-hmm. Other M, uh, Federation Force. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think they slightly got back on track with that other 3DS game. I can't remember what it was called. Uh, they made one on the DS called Metroid 
Metroid Prime Hunters. Yeah. And it w- I know that one. And then Federation Force, I think, is... I don't even know why they put the Metroid name on that. Yeah, so that's the one that um, bombed. And um, Yeah, it didn't even have Samus in it. And I think they just wanted to capitalize on the name, which that bothered me because I'm like, this is not Nintendo. Yeah. Like, this is not what they, what they should be doing. And I do think Other M, you know... I, it's hard to even talk about that game sometimes because it's so different and it was made by the guys that made Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, yeah. So, or Ninja Gaiden, however people say it, but Team Ninja made that game. Yeah. So it's like, that's when Nintendo was outsourcing all their lesser, po- like Star Fox, Star Fox Adventures was rare. Oh yeah, we'll see. And then Star Fox Assault was made by Namco, I think. Uh, so they outsourced sure. Star Fox, then they outsourced Metroid yeah. to Team Ninja. Right. So they did their thing with it. And Metroid Other M is not a bad game. It's just its own thing. It's not really something that I would recommend most people play unless you're just a super fan of the franchise. I think we can all assume that it did not meet sales expectations. No, no, Um, no, no, no. I'm thinking that, I mean, if I was Nintendo and I'm sure they like they've been in the game for a very long time. They have to be smart enough to realize that (laughs) we struck gold with Metroid Prime. Let's go back to Metroid Mm -hmm. Prime and make it that way so yeah i think um the fact that metroid prime the first game is still in what like the top 10 metacritic games of all time Mm -hmm. um it's quality so they want to go back to that type of quality and get the franchise going again so i have faith that they're going to make the right steps and do it right because i i really hope so you can only go up from here i think yeah but how far nintendo is Nintendo's such an interesting company yeah. because they they do they've always just done their own thing. Yeah. Right. They've always just but what I will say, and I mentioned this to Jay uh when we were talking about this game the other day, I said, you know, one thing that you can count on with Nintendo, for the most part, all of their first party games that they make in-house are polished to near perfection. Yeah, exactly. Like they are there's no glitches, like everything works the way it's supposed to. They're colorful, they're bright, they work perfectly. Metro Prime also, you know, being made by Retro, who I think Nintendo owns Retro now. Yeah, um, I think so. It's an internal studio. Yeah. If that Retro Studios has some of the same talent that the original series had, then I do have faith and I hope that it will be, I hope that it'll be great. I don't want it to be gimmicky. Yeah. You know, I don't want it to be like, oh, I have to take, I've, I have a switch, but I, w- I have a pro controller and I usually have it docked. Yeah. You know, I'll take it off the dock if I'm, you know, at an airport. I'll take it somewhere, but otherwise I want to play on my TV and I don't want all the motion controls anymore. I'm done with that. Yep. I just want it to be a good controller experience. And I, I don't know if Nintendo's going to do that because I know how they are Yeah, and they're, they're going to maybe want to try to do something <laughs> gimmicky, but if they can go back to that formula, like you said, yeah, it may make it an, an adventure exploration game and, and make the, the shooting part, you know, secondary in that sense. And I think it'll be good because I don't know where they would what they would add to make it different or new. Yeah. Just make another good Prime game. That's what I want. I, I'm 99% sure that that's what they're going to do. I can't... I'm, I'm pretty sure I, they're I done so. with motion controls for the most part. Like, yeah. just look at the Switch. There's hardly any motion yeah, control stuff it. at all. They did it on uh, Mario Odyssey. They put some stuff in there that you had to use. And you have to... You can do it with the Pro Controller. Like, yeah. certain moves, like throwing the hat. Uh, okay. You have to, like fling and i'm like just stop nintendo like we we get it the wii was awesome you sold a lot of those <laughs> you did great the wii u you fucked up yeah <laughs> you know now you've got the switch where it's like here's your gimmick is that you can have it on a tv and have it portable you don't need motion controls like yeah. just stop shoehorning that in you know microsoft took the hint with the connect 
they said, you know what? We fucked up. We're done. Yeah. You know, no more of that. <laughs> so just I'm take it away. I'm hopeful that they're, they're still like, I'm, surely, surely they won't fuck this up. <laughs> I, I really hope you're right. And I, I appreciate your optimism. I'm normally very optimistic about this kind of stuff. And so I, but we, we've also seen absolutely nothing. Yeah. The game was announced three years ago and we've gotten nothing. So we don't even have a screenshot. Eh, so okay. I, I want to see what they're doing. Once I see something, I'm sure I'll be right there with you and I'll be like, oh man, I can't wait. But I got hyped three years ago. I like that they're keeping it behind closed doors because otherwise you're going to wind up with another Cyberpunk 2077 situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where you've sh- oh God, yeah. shown off all this uh, stuff and then all of a sudden it comes out and doesn't meet expectations. So, you know. Nintendo should do the ultimate power move and just release it and put it on shelves and not say anything. They've done that a few So people just start going into stores and going like, wait, there's Metroid Prime 4 is out. They didn't say anything. And they're like, yeah, we, we just we just released it. Yeah. We don't care what you think. You know, I would just do the, would the power move one week before launch. Be like, hey, here's all these trailers. Here's all this. Hype. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> right. Pull a pull a Sega Saturn where they're like, oh, by the way, it's going to be available like in five minutes. Yeah, exactly. Here you go. So, uh, yeah, I, I hope so. I really do. I, right. I think we need Metroid needs to be around we need more metroid yeah and um now that you've introduced me to this game i (laughs) now consider myself a metroid prime fan (laughs) there you go there you go and you will say if you do decide to play two keep in mind that that is the most divisive one people either love it or they hate it well keep in mind i'm also a contrarian so i probably love it because people Uh. hate it We'll see. Yeah. And a lot of people hate it for interesting reasons, but I love it for what it does differently. And it is different enough from Prime 1 that I think you'll you'll appreciate what it's doing. Right. It's not a rehash. Well, if I have the so. opportunity to play the second game, I'd love to have you back on and have a chat with you about it. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. I'll talk about Metroid anytime. All right. Well, we're going a bit over time. So <laughs> a bit. Yeah, a lot. So um, I should have gotten you to plug this in the very beginning and I said we were going to, but I completely forgot. <laughs> tell us oh, about- Oh, you're fine. Tell us about Retro Blast Podcast and where people can find you. Yeah, yeah. So for those of you who don't know, um, I am one of the hosts or the co-host of uh, the Retro Blast Podcast. Our show's a little different. Our, our format, we uh, focus on one game per episode and we discuss- really just the game we don't talk about much else we just like to really dive into the meat of it um and uh and and discuss that for a whole episode and and really just pour our hearts out about it and a lot of what we've done here i guess i brought some of that to you adam and spilled spilled my guts here i enjoyed it um but uh <laughs> you can find us uh pretty much anywhere you get your podcasts if you just look up the the retro blast podcast uh you can find us on spotify apple podcasts you know podcast addict wherever you get your podcast just google us you'll find us as well um you can find us on twitter at retro blast us um or on instagram at the retro blast podcast and that's just all one word we are starting to get more active on Instagram. I just kind of dove into that. We're, we're mainly on Twitter. Uh, that's where we reach a lot of our audience. So that's where you can find us. And we hope that you'll you'll come over and, and take a listen to some of our episodes as well. Awesome. Well, I highly recommend, um, if they haven't already, check out the GoldenEye episode for some very oh, yeah. hilarious anecdotes. <laughs> oh, man. We won't spoil it. Yeah. No, I just... Mm-hmm. Look. Dear it's listeners, hilarious, I know. <laughs> listen to the... GoldenEye episode and stick with it towards the very end because um, there's a part where <laughs> I was uh, I was listening while I was brushing my teeth and I nearly choked oh, man. while because I was laughing. <laughs> right? Yeah, I've, we we've gotten some interesting feedback on that episode. 
That's been a lot of fun. And that, what's crazy is that we've had people who are involved with, I don't know how much you're on Twitter yeah. or if you knew this, but hilarious that one of the guys that designed GoldenEye, who's in the game, uh, tweeted us and mentioned one of those parts. Oh my God. Uh, about how he, he was laughing. Uh, I will just say the VHS part he was laughing about. And that was surreal. That's hilarious. To have someone from the game who's in the game tweet us and say, hey, by the way. <laughs> Just listen to your podcast. That's and it. And I was laughing about your story. You've made it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, this is a, this is what's so cool about doing this, uh, these types of podcasts is that you have these people that to people like you and I yep. are heroes to us, you know, because they are involved with a lot of stuff that is nostalgic to us. Yeah. And that we go back and what we were like, wow, so disconnected from them back then. But now we can tweet them, you know. Yeah. It's so, so crazy. Cool. I know. Um. All right. Well. Uh, better wrap this one up. <laughs> yeah, good chat, man. Thank good you talk. for joining me and uh, our socials, of course. Uh, you can find us, as in myself and Kieran. <laughs> you can find us at Bad Backlog on Twitter, at Good Bad Backlog on Instagram, Good Bad Backlog on Twitch. Uh, we still have a YouTube channel that hasn't been updated. It's the Good the Bad the Backlog. <laughs> and for merchandise, shop.spreadshirt.com slash Good Bad Backlog. Whew. You did it. Well, thanks for joining us, <laughs> or me, <laughs> joining me, <laughs> as our very first special guest from another podcast. Hey, man, it was, it was a pleasure. I really enjoy conversations like this, and we'll have to have you on our show sometime soon. I'll be more than happy to come and then join your show. Sounds amazing. <laughs> you just missed that joke. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did. <laughs> well done. That's fine. Uh, okay, cool. So, goodbye. Goodbye.